mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Is it normal to feel really burpy? Is it normal to have nosebleeds? Is it normal to have a dead leg? Is it normal to have loads of saliva? Is it normal not to feel pregnant? Hello and welcome to Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast with me, Jessie Ware. We are now at weeks 20 to 22. Congratulations. I hope you're all feeling okay. And if you're not, hopefully we can alleviate some of those worries and uh, delve into some of those symptoms that a lot of you may be experiencing. Uh, This podcast follows my pregnancy journey and with the help of some absolutely brilliant experts is here to reassure you and inform you about all aspects of pregnancy and giving birth. In this episode, Kate Richardson, our sonographer, will be back to talk about everything you can expect at your 20-week scan. But first, I'll be catching up with obstetrician and gynaecologist Jess McMicking to talk about some of the symptoms you might be experiencing at this stage in the pregnancy. Thank you for joining me again, Jess. Thank you for having me, Jessie. It's wonderful to be back. Um, so I had a funny old, I, you know, I, I, I'm feeling kind of okay. And I had a bit of a funny one where I decided to do my exercise and I was going off to my hospital appointment. And I thought, it's a 50 minute walk it's a beautiful day I'm going to walk to the hospital for my 20 week scan and I have been actually starting to use a pregnancy not like a a brace it looks like a corset so it kind of feels weird it's kind of like a support thing so I thought because I'd been suffering from a bit of back pain I'd been recommended to try this so that day I decided I didn't want to take it to the hospital so I walked without it and Maybe I overdid it and it was kind of, you know, a good hour and a half kind of bit strong pace. I was walking with my husband and obviously when you walk with somebody else who isn't pregnant, you feel like a pug and like a slug that's walking behind them most of the time and, and panting. So anyway, I walked there and on the way back, I started feeling like I had a real stitch and kind of in my groin area, which I presume, you know, we've talked about round ligament pain a bit, but I've never experienced it in any of my other pregnancies. And maybe I have not been walking that far in the last 20 weeks, but it really like twinged and it kind of lasted for a few days. So I wondered whether I'd kind of pulled a muscle from actually walking, which is quite embarrassing. Um, Is this something normal that can happen with people that have maybe kind of overdone it in exercise, even though it was, you know, a fast paced walk? Or could it have been something to do with the fact that I wasn't wearing the brace that I'd start my 
body, I think, has started quite like this kind of feeling of being really like secure and tucked in. Is this kind of normal um, to be having these kind of twinges and pains at around 20 to 22 weeks? Yes, yes, definitely. It, uh, it's normal to experience any kind of twinges, stitch-like, cramp-like uh, symptoms around this time. Uh, in addition, I mean, you can experience this at any time in your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And that's because we know that what's growing, obviously, is your uterus or your womb that contains your baby. And obviously, what it's putting pressure on are all those muscles in our body. Mm. So we've got our abdominal muscles on the front side. Um, we've got our lower back muscles, um, uh, obvious where they lie as well. Well. Um, and then, of course, we've got all those sorts of muscles and our pelvic floor that all connect up the dots. Uh, you know, it, you're doing the right thing by exercising. Of course, that's what we encourage. So, you know, keeping up that gentle walking mm. is really, really important. And these sorts of pain shouldn't deter that. I like to hear that you're using a pregnancy belt. Your physiotherapist will be most excited to hear about that. Because obviously what that does um, in some women is that provides that lower back support that they may not have sort of naturally. Mm. And it can really help, as you said, sort of tuck things in, keep your posture well, mm. um, and of course encourage you to walk quite comfortably. Um, obviously, if these pains occurred with any other concerning symptoms, so say, you know, you had a, a t- twinge, you know, in your lower abdomen and all of a sudden you started bleeding or mm. you had some burning with going to the toilet, that's when, yes, of course, that calls uh, for a review by either your midwife or obstetrician. So, yeah, to talk about these um braces now it kind of sounds quite uh scary when we talk about it like that but basically it's like a bit of tight material that mine is kind of like a corset where you tighten it in and you can go at three different spaces so you know however big your bump is and um I mean do you recommend people that even aren't struggling with low back pain because I've heard it's quite good to get the baby in an optimal position but I don't know whether that's necessary at around this time or not it just feels quite you feel a bit kind of uh, naked without it now yeah so it becomes your best friend almost in some yeah. circumstances I th- yeah it's it's quite a comforting thing I think for some women now don't get me wrong belts let's talk about this in a few months when it's summertime and it's really really hot <laughs> and it, it may not be so comfortable yeah. or when you're lying on a beach somewhere when we all get to travel uh, but it, it can uh, provide and make that comfortable and in particular what I found with some women is they like wearing them when they're sitting doing office work um, in particular if they don't have a supportive chair what it encourages them to do is obviously sit up straight and I see that we all sort of go and sit yeah, up straight yeah, in our chairs. Straight now. Um, I, I've, I've even contemplating one wearing one myself and I'm not even pregnant um, but it, it does it does help and I think in particular if you're suffering from lower back pain or you want that extra abdominal support, that's something to think about. Um, It's good that they're adjustable because obviously we know what we don't want is something that's too small and, you know, is uncomfortable as you, you know, transform into the number of weeks pregnant. Um, But a lot of these belts come where they can be adjusted quite easily. Um, Thanks, Jess. Now, uh, going on to the scan, which we'll talk a little bit more about with Kate, the sonographer. But just to talk about it with you, um, when I had my scan, it was quite long. It was longer, I think, than the 12-week scan. And there was this like slightly worrying moment. There, there was, I think it was a student sonographer with a, a more senior sonographer. So, you know, they were t- taking their time and it was absolutely fine. But there, were, there was like a lot of um, interest in the heart. And it freaked my husband and I out because everyone was being quite silent and they were doing the thing. And we were like, oh God, is something wrong with the heart? Is it quite normal 
for these scans to take a little longer and for them to be really focusing on, I guess, the heart and, and certain areas? Like, you know, it's, I presume it has to be in quite great detail, this scan. Yeah, so you are right. The 20-week scan is probably you know the longest scan that you'll get. And there's a reason being is what they need to do as either a sonographer or as a fetal medicine specialist is they're looking at your baby in great detail. You know, their job is to go through a checklist of all the anatomical structures of your baby and as in addition to that, looking at the placenta, fluid, you know, the list goes on. Um, we'll hear, obviously hear from Kate about all the sort of nitty gritty that they look at. But you are right, you know, there's a minimum standard for how many slides they need to take. And with that obviously comes, you know, a large length of time. Um, it's really important that they do a really thorough job with this scan because it's very powerful in helping, you know, check for anomalies of the baby, which of course are rare, but they can be detected at this point in time, but also making sure that, you know, everything is there to support, you know, the well-being of your baby going forward in the pregnancy. So, um, and we'll we'll hear a little bit more from Kate about that scan. Now on to some other symptoms that may be happening or things that are happening with the baby. Some symptoms that I have been accused of, I don't know if it's actually happening um, because I'm asleep, is my husband says, I am snoring like a trooper. And he says, he said, um, I, I mean, I do feel really congested, which I know we've talked about before. Like you can kind of get quite a lot of like sinusy stuff. Um, but yeah, snoring like a like a trooper. Um, especially he said when I'm on my back, which I know I shouldn't necessarily be on my back and um sleeping. So I said, when I'm on my back, you need to like shove me. He was like, I didn't want to wake you up. I said, well, shove me. Um, but yeah, why do people start snoring during pregnancy? What is going on there? I've heard of that from women as well. I mean, there was only one yesterday that partner did the same thing. He was sort of like, oh, you've started snoring now. You know, this is not you. You know, is there something wrong? Look, I, I don't think there's any scientific evidence to connect you know why it is that pregnant women snore more but I, I personally think it would be a combination so you've drawn out that uh, and unfortunately you know at times you're sort of resting on your back and as we know you know when you're on your back you know you what can happen is your respiratory structures get a little bit lazier and that's that's why indeed that we can start snoring of course if you've highlighted you know there's no harm done but obviously sleeping in on your side and either left or right side does carry its benefits. And that's what we encourage, especially later on in the pregnancy. I guess the other thing to think about is, you know, what changes are going on in the body. And it, it may be that one day we identify that it's, it's something to do with the hormonal changes. I, I don't know, but it, it is something that does occur and you're not alone. Um, and I mean, I don't think there's any treatment for it per se, but what you may find is if you change that sleep position, that, that may help calm down the snoring. I mean there was one point where I actually did wake myself up with a like almighty snore and I was like wow this is this is a situation <laughs> that I hope really stops this is new. <laughs> uh, after this baby is out of my tummy. So on to some other people's symptoms. So the first uh, voice note we've got is from Aoife. She's actually 18 weeks but I presume this could apply at any time of pregnancy and it's about nosebleeds. Hi my name is Aoife. I'm about 18 weeks pregnant now. It's my first pregnancy. Generally have been feeling pretty good. Haven't had any morning sickness or didn't have any in my first trimester, which was a surprise to me actually because I get car sick just going down the road. So that was quite a relief. The one symptom I have had, which is a bit weird, are nosebleeds. So yeah, I'd be interested to know what that's about and if it's common. 
um thanks very much yeah so nosebleeds it's it's a really common thing and i think as you pointed out jesse it can happen at any stage in your pregnancy uh why it occurs there's a number of different mechanisms so it's safe, you know, there's no harm uh, in a nosebleed. Of course, what we want to make sure the nosebleed does end at some stage. So that, that's probably the priority is making sure that your nosebleed settles down. Um, the reason it does happen is what they say scientifically is there are some hormonal changes that can affect, I guess, the mucosal lining of the nose and predispose sort of a little bit of a bleed. Now, we know in a non-pregnant state, you know, sometimes with a significant nosebleed, it can be associated with a blood disorder or low platelet levels. In pregnancy, it's really unlikely that that's the cause. It, it really is, especially for these subtle, although it may be a new thing to your body, but more commonly, it, it's a benign or non-scary um, symptom of pregnancy that can happen quite commonly. I guess the most important thing, though, um, in saying is if you are having nosebleeds, it is worthwhile mentioning at your antenatal appointment, and that can be either to your obstetrician or midwife, because what they can do at the time is assess, you know, when they come on, you know, are these significant nosebleeds? Is it something that we do need to investigate with the blood test to ensure us that things are okay with your platelet levels? And then, of course, it's it's, it's going through um, that check. It's rare that I've seen a nosebleed that just keeps going and going and going. But obviously, if you are in that instance, it is worthwhile presenting to your local hospital um, because there are ways that we can do medically to stop the nosebleed. Um, thanks, Jess. Yeah, it's funny because actually, now that I think about it, I, I, mean, I haven't had like full blown nosebleeds, but there's definitely been blood up there coming out when I'd blow my nose and that's become quite a common thing around this time actually so yeah you're not alone Aoife. The next message is from Ellie who's 20 weeks. Hello my name is Ellie and I am pregnant with identical twins. I wanted to discuss a couple of symptoms that I've had in this pregnancy actually and the first one is incredibly sensitive nipples to the cold it's something that I actually had in my first pregnancy as well, because this is my second, and um, it completely takes over me. It's like they are either on fire or that they are about to snap off. It's unbearable at times, but I've managed to find a couple of ways to relieve it, and both ways makes me look totally crazy. I have been known to come home after a walk and rub my nipples against the radiator, which actually seems to be the best solution currently because it warms them up the quickest and makes them very quickly not feel like they're on fire. And also I did ask my partner once to put them under his armpits to keep them warm because he has incredibly warm armpits. Well, he's incredibly warm blooded and I don't think quite understands my pain when it comes to these nipples. But has anybody else had this before? Because I really remember um, having this also in my first pregnancy about eight or nine years ago. Um, and I need to really remember never to get pregnant over winter because it just is excruciatingly painful and makes me look like a crazy woman. The other symptom that I'm having with this pregnancy is incredibly low sex drive. It's one of those things that... I was reading up a lot about it in my first trimester and loads of people were saying, don't worry, in the second trimester, everything will be absolutely fine. And yeah, I was kind of expecting this wave of just roundiness and that never came. I feel like now I have very, very, very small pockets of being up for it. And unless me and my partner jump, then 
it will just be gone for the rest of the evening. So God bless him. He deserves a bloody medal these last few months. But yeah, any tips for how to comfortably have sex when you feel like you are a whale unit? Sometimes it just feels like the babies are just going to and fro and it completely, completely throws me off. There's a lot to unpick there. Ellie, I really appreciate you getting in touch and saying these things because I, um, girl, don't feel bad. Don't give the guy a medal. He's fine. You are growing two humans. You're allowed to do what you bloody want. And if you fancy jumping him at three in the morning and that's when you want to do it, I'm sure he'll say yes. That's my advice, but um, that isn't medical uh, or sound <laughs> advice. But uh, Jess, over to the obstetrician expert. Oh, Ellie, I, I don't know what to say either. I, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Jesse, on that advice. Okay, let's start first of all with the cold nipples. So actually what you're describing is a phenomenon that we call nipple, nipple vasospasm. So it, it, it's common. It, what it's all to do with your circulation. So what you've rightly so pointed out is at the moment your nipples have been starred of blood and that's why you're feeling this cold shooting type sensation. You know, they're on the periphery of your body. Um, and you said, you know, rubbing up against the radiator, you know, underneath your partner's armpits, that helps it because that's obviously heating it up. Um, what we find is this sort of nipple vasospasm. It more commonly occurs in breastfeeding, but it can affect women's pregnancies. It can be associated with women of a lower weight because they may typically have poorer circulation or you might be known to have poorer circulation. So especially those people, you know, who are outside um, their pregnancy, you know, experience cold fingers or cold toes in winter. You know, it might be that you are one to have these nipple type symptoms in your pregnancy. Um, it's definitely not harmful. It doesn't mean that you can't breastfeed once you have your baby, but it's just something that your body's doing. Um, and what you've just got to do is find a solution, whether it is rubbing up against the radiator or not, whatever it is for you that works, go for it. Another tip might be to massage your nipples as well. And I mean, I don't think you will look silly unless you do it in a public place, um, but it's definitely something you can do to help overcome. Oh, Ellie, man, I feel sorry. I feel sorry for her because that, they're such a sensitive place as it is to have that discomfort I feel for you girl yeah definitely then moving on to the low sex drive now it is really interesting what they actually quote in NCT classes for those that may have attended is 20% of women actually say they have a lower libido in pregnancy I know that might make you think you're one of five rather than four or five but it, but it is something that affects women and this is obviously something that affects you know women in different ways what we have to remember with sex drive is it's not only your body changes, but it's everything in the mind as well. So there's two things that can be going on. Um, and it, it's something that you, once having a think about it, you might be able to connect yourself with one side of it. Um, so from a physical point of view, some women just don't feel themselves when they're pregnant. You know, it might be a combination that they're growing, you know, bigger in size. They may be experiencing side effect symptoms of pregnancy. So it might be the nausea and vomiting. It may be the nipple pain. Uh, it, it may be a whole combination of things and you just don't feel yourself physically and that can really have an impact on on your you know sex drive what we also know within our bodies, lots of hormonal changes that we can blame on as well. So, you know, we know in pregnancy there's fluctuations of, you know, not only the pregnancy hormone, but your female hormones as well. And that can uh, affect your sex drive or, you know, you wanting to be intimate with your partner. 
how to go about it. And I think this is really, it's a hard one. So what is reported in, I guess it, it's hard to do a, a really, uh, I guess, valid scientific study on this because it's all based on perception and how women feel. But what is reported in the majority of women is actually as they progress in pregnancy, things become easier. And I think that's really something to take on board. Yes, you might at the moment go, oh, I just don't think I'm ever going to get my sex drive back. But you may find is once you hit the third trimester, you know your baby or your babies in your circumstance are growing well, things are healthy, you've adjusted to your body. Actually, you may find that your sex drive returns. It's all to do with the acceptance of the body, but also, I guess, physically, we've got to understand that, you know, the body just may not feel like, you know, being sexually intimate and we have to listen to ourselves, you know, don't feel bad, your partner will understand and, you know, I think that's the main thing going forward is just be comfortable in yourself and things will get better. I have to like also add, Ellie, if this is any kind of reassurance, I mean, <laughs> my husband's lucky to have sex Um at the best time. I mean basically he I have sex with him when I want to have a baby so like I mean the poor sod but not the poor sod anyway what I would say Ellie is I don't know if this is something that other um women and people are experiencing I feel like I am feeling the most kind of sexual in my dreams where my husband plays no role in that dream and like so I'm I'm having a fantastic time dreaming um, but maybe not necessarily doing the physical interaction um, but I don't know if that's like a common thing for women to experience as well. I, I think no I think some women actually find the pregnancy quite arousing um, and that's what we notice you know everyone's I guess the, the way in which they'll undergo their own sexual pleasure will change. And it can be, you know, a time that couples, believe it or not, try new sexual positions, um, you know, change the way in which they have their sexual activity. So it may be that they explore a different avenue rather than the routine type sexual activity they used to be engaged in. Um, so yes, you are, you know, you're not silly, you know, using your dreams as a way to, um, you know, gain your your pleasures. That That's completely I'm fine. Out, I'm out of control of that. <laughs> It's like I'm dreaming. You know, Bridgerton did things to me that my husband has not done things to me. Bridgerton's done lots um, no. of things to everyone. <laughs> Bridgerton, I feel like, anyway, what I'm saying is that, like, I, I think personally, uh, I'm definitely having less nearly zero amount of sex and not feeling that up for it at all and I'm sure there's many women in that position and maybe there's other women that are having you know loads of sex and good on you on either way but yeah I definitely found that my dreams have been slightly more racy than usual um thank you to all these women that have um sent messages in it's so interesting and really helpful um to hear from you and to hear your different symptoms because i'm sure there's other people out there that are experiencing exactly the same and you may have just helped them feel a bit little less kind of odd about things so um what's going on with uh the baby at this point um jess i know definitely that i've started to feel i don't know about patterns of movement but i've definitely started to engage in the kicks more I'm feeling them a bit more but then I'm this is my third time having a baby some people may not be feeling that too um sensitively yet but it's it's feeling a little bit more real now like you can maybe start feeling like you're gonna have a conversation and a relationship with them in 
there. I don't know, it feels like things are happening now. Yeah, so I, I mean, you know, at this 20 to 22 week mark, we know that, you know, we're at the halfway point. And so, yes, of course, things feel a lot more real. Um, as we will discuss with Kate and the anomaly scan, what we know is we've timed that scan because, you know, your baby has formed all of its anatomical structures now. You know, it, it is a baby. It's a little one. Uh, movements is an interesting thing because it does vary between women and that can be based on a whole range of circumstances. So, you know, whether or not one's got an anterior position placenta, what's one's baseline weight, that will affect one's perception of movements. But what we know is between 18 and 24 weeks, the majority of women will start to feel their baby move. And it will differ if you ask all of your friends, you know, oh God, I haven't felt it yet. Someone will say, oh yes, but I have. Um, and as I said, it, it does vary. Um, what you will feel is, as you pointed out, Jesse, is not that regular type pattern of movement that's more classic of the third trimester, but the baby will start to make little flutters or, you know, give you signs that there's something growing on the inside. What they recommend, and this is, you know, according to our uh, national guidance, is if by 24 weeks you haven't felt your baby move, then yes, that's when you should, you know, point out to your midwife or obstetrician. And what they can do is arrange for you to have a scan or an ultrasound um, to check on what's going on. It's great during that 20-week scan because actually, you know, the fact that it takes so long is that you'll see your baby move and you actually might then correlate, oh, I can see it move. Oh, I'm feeling something on my tummy. Oh, I'll connect the dots. That's my baby. Um, and that, that's a really helpful tool um, because that will help, you know, guide what it is that you're feeling on your lower abdomen in the weeks to come. Thank you, Jess. That's been really eye-opening as usual. Um, and I really appreciate you speaking to us at 20 to 22 weeks. Yeah, thank you very much, Jess. And thank you to the women for their honest questions as well. Um, it, it's really good to cover all these topics. And I'm sure a lot of women out there will continue to provide us with some great questions. Absolutely. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So I loved speaking to the sonographer Kate Richardson so much at 12 to 14 weeks that I decided to bring her back for the 
20-week scan, which is a little different from your 12 to 14-week scan. So, Kate, thank you so much for coming back. And um, please tell us what the 20-week scan entails, what you're looking for, what's the kind of really defining moments or points that you're looking for as a sonographer at the 20-week scan. Hi, Jesse. Thank you for having me back. (laughs) It's nice to come and speak about the 20-week scan as well. Uh, So at the 20-week scan, it's called the anatomy or the anomaly scan. So what we're going to do is we check baby in lots of detail. There's about 30 checks that we do to do with baby's anatomy and development and also other structures related to the pregnancy. So like we did at the 12-week scan, we'll have a look at baby's head and brain, but there'll be much more development. So there'll be a cerebellum, which is the hind part of baby's brain. It's the part of brain, the brain that's responsible for balance and coordination, and it'll be a nice dumbbell shape. Then we check the ventricles of the brain and many other structures within the brain. We then work our way down and we look at the little lenses on baby's eyes and then baby's lips. So we can check for cleft lip and cleft palate, even at 20 weeks. And again, once these things are normal, they remain normal because that stage of embryological development, it happens much earlier on. So we look at baby's profile as well and we check that the chin and the nose and all of these other structures of the face all look nice and healthy and normal. And like with the earlier scan, just just the sign of baby's face looking normal, it really reassures us about chromosomal conditions and things like that. Then we work our way down and we look at the nice four-chamber view of baby's heart. So we check that there's two ventricles and two atria and the heart's working in the way that it does on a little baby at that stage. So they have a single circulatory system and the blood all pumps around. So we check that there's no little holes in the heart and we check for the plumbing of the heart as well. So we check that all the blood vessels come off and go in the right direction. We then continue our little journey down. I tend to describe that when you're scanning, baby's like a little loaf of bread. When you go down slice by slice for a little baby, looking at the anatomy at each stage. Because um, it can be quite difficult when you're watching an ultrasound scan to figure out what a sonographer's doing. Mm, yeah, It's much easier when you're driving the machine. So... Um, So then have a nice little look at the heart and then check the stomach again like we did at the 12-week scan. So we check that the stomach's below the diaphragm and that it's filled with all that amniotic fluid. By this stage, baby's drinking the amniotic fluid but actually tasting it as well. So they can tell if you've had something particularly sweet or tasty or nice. So you can start to see what what baby's taste buds are like. (laughs) Um, So once the the fluid goes from the stomach, it filters through the kidneys. So we check the kidneys and check the tubes coming off of the kidneys. Then we check the bladder and then baby pees it back out and drinks it again as we said before not very not very glamorous mm. um, so then we can also look at baby's spine in lots of detail so we check that all the spines developed and there's no sign of spina bifida or anything like that we look at the beautiful little outstretched hands again the humerus the radius and ulna in case you're pl- train, playing trivial pursuit this weekend and want to know your your anatomy <laughs> and then we look at the femurs um, and the tib and fibs, which are all the bones in the leg, and check that the feet and ankles all align. So all of these things just build up a healthy pattern of growth and development for a baby. And by 20 weeks, baby's got everything pretty much. It just needs the finishing touches over the next 20 weeks, like a little bit of nice little chubby fat. And then the, the synapses and everything in the brain all develop more throughout that time as well. So baby doesn't use their little lungs at, at 20 weeks. Um, that's only once baby's born. But all of the general anatomy of baby we can check at 20 weeks. And we also check the placenta to see if it's up out the way of the cervix. Um, if it's not up out the way of the cervix, which is a, sort of the exit route for baby, yeah. then we might organise for you to have another ultrasound scan at 36 weeks just to check that the placenta's moved up out the way. Um, the NHS use 36 weeks as that stage to check that the placenta's moved up out the way. But if you did have... I know none of us are really travelling at the moment, but if you did have an international engagement such as a best friend's wedding and you were hoping to fly, 
You can't get a fit to fly letter if you've got a low lying placenta, but you could get it checked privately before flying and then you might still be able to go to, to a wedding or wherever you'd like to go because um, you, you don't necessarily need to wait to 36 weeks. The NHS just do it then because if you've got a lot of patients to scan, it's best just to leave it until that stage. And low lying placenta is also called, is it called placenta previa? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So lots of placentas are down near the cervix earlier on in the pregnancy, but they move up out the way. Mm-hmm. And the way I tend to describe it is the womb's like like a balloon and the placenta's like a lump of plasticine stuck inside a balloon. It's not a very glamorous description. Um, and as the, as the womb grows, the placenta grows up out the way of the cervix. So I tend to say, unlike gravity, with placentas, what goes up doesn't come back down. So once it's up out the way of your cervix, it should stay up out the way, which most of them do. But some of them, as you say, they, they stay low and that's a condition called placenta previa. And those babies have to come out by a cesarean. So just for the safety of mum and for baby. Um, now, what's the kind of most common problems that you will encounter at that 20-week scan? One of the most common um, things that we pick up is renal pelvis dilatation. And what that means is there's a little bit of extra fluid in the tubes that run from baby's kidneys down to the bladder. And so the measurement of it, you can see some fluid sitting there. With the, It's the most common thing that we see. And generally what happens is when a baby's born, they'll do some ultrasound scans and a baby might be put on some antibiotics called trimethorapine mm. just to monitor. So you, it's just kind of a, a, a prophylactic. You just, just in case this condition means something or baby needs a little bit more help or adjustment with it. So it's really common, but it can be a marker for Down syndrome. And in the NHS, we offer lots of screening for Down syndrome. So I would recommend if someone did pick up renal pelvis dilatation at the 20 week scan, I wouldn't go into a panic and worry that there were conditions with baby. It's probably just likely to be something that will be treated with some antibiotics. But if you want more reassurance, then look at having a non-invasive prenatal test, which is just a more sensitive test for screening for Down syndrome, Edwards syndrome and Patau syndrome, because then it just means that you can forget about those about those concerns. Yeah. The other one of the other things that we pick up is um, ventricular megaly, which is when there's some an extra quantity of fluid in the baby's brain. The thing to remember with ultrasound is some of the things that we pick up have relevance and some of them don't. There's a lot of false positives in ultrasound and there's a lot of markers. And I'm not even sure if I like the term markers because I I, I don't feel that it's a, a good indication that if, if something measured nine millimetres, it would be normal. But if it measures 10 millimetres, then it's a problem. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really important to understand that when we pick up things on ultrasound, they may be relevant or they might not be relevant. And it might just mean having a bit more input from a fetal medicine consultant, someone who went to school for a bit longer than I did. <laughs> so um, and just monitoring babies as well. If there, are, if there are signs or markers that we pick up, it's just keeping a little eye on baby. Some things resolve themselves. Some things have no clinical relevance whatsoever. Um, and some things just need a little bit more input. And do you feel like um, babies are very aware when the ultrasound's happening? I mean, yeah, you're pushing down, but like, do you find that babies like it or dislike it? Is there kind of, they do they react to it? I, I don't think that they're they're aware of it personally. I don't think they have that neurological development. And I, I don't think that they think, oh, I'll go and see what's going on over there. And most of the time they're in a micro sleep. Um, when I was a radiographer before being a sonographer, I used to go and do x-rays for poorly little babies that were up on the special care baby unit. And I used to really notice the difference between a premature baby and a full-term baby with doing the x-ray because the little x-ray plate would go under their little incubator Mm. and um, the premature babies didn't really react to anything or know that much was going on. Whereas the term babies were a bit more aware of themselves. And I've kind of always applied that to ultrasound. I, I just think that those synapses and that thought process 
isn't particularly there until a bit later on. That makes That's sense. really so, interesting. So I don't think we'd stress them out. Okay. <laughs> Although I do think some of them are little posers. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's everyone wants that like brilliant shot. And actually, if you've got an anterior placenta, it's a bit of a bugger to get that shot, isn't it? It is, particularly if you if you want um, nice 3D pictures later on in the pregnancy, because babies tend to get a bit snuggled in into the placenta. It, it's just another thing in the in the way. With the little physics of ultrasound, it doesn't like travelling through so many things. So this um, twenty week scan is potentially going to be the last time you get to see your baby um, inside until you hopefully meet them and so yeah for the majority of women this will be the last scan they have unless you have placenta previa where you you've talked about you'd have another check are there any other instances where you would be returning for additional scans a couple of london nhs hospitals just provide a 36 week scan because they've got research fellows so they're able to do it and which is good because if we can do this research we can we can prove that it would be really beneficial hopefully to do a 36 week scan for everyone some people such as people who have multiple pregnancies have serial growth scans at 28 32 and 36 weeks Um, but also people who develop conditions such as gestational diabetes um, or people who have underlying health issues or people at a higher incidence of preeclampsia, they might have, have extra ultrasound scans. Also, when the midwife does the assessment, as you probably remember yourself, they do the measurement with a tape measure. They measure the fundal height. And if that doesn't measure in centimetres what you should be measuring in weeks and the midwife's concerned about the growth, they might refer you for an extra ultrasound scan. Um, most of the time, the ultrasound scan shows that everything's actually perfectly normal. I probably actually scan about three ladies a day for growth scans and the, the fundal height measurement has been off too big or too small and I measure the babies and they're perfect. Um, but obviously, it's a bit more accurate doing a scan than it is doing the fundal height measurement. So if that happens to you, don't go into a panic. Just think, oh, good, I get to meet my little item again. <laughs> so, and we measure when we do that, we measure baby's head, tummy and the thigh bone and then the amniotic fluid around baby. We check the position of baby. That's very important. That could be another reason as well why someone might have um, a growth scan later on in the pregnancy. When the midwife palpates, if she thinks that baby's breech, meaning head up Mm. rather than head down and already for the exit, they might send you for another scan just to double check that. Kate Richardson, been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about the 20-week scan. Thank you so much for your time and we really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you, Jessie. It's so nice to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you found that useful. And thank you so much to Jess and Kate for their insights. In the next episode, we'll cover weeks 22 to 24 weeks of pregnancy. Subscribe to the podcast, like it if you like, and share it amongst your friends. And we'll see you very soon. Take care. Lots of love. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com